trusted voice of truth and light. The narratives that mislead most of us aren't outright lies. They're the deliberate omission of facts that could give us a more complete picture. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. The world needs your leadership, and the essence of leadership is using your influence wisely wherever you happen to be standing. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome to the show. I'm so glad you could join me today. Well, 2020 is the year that just keeps on giving. I know we joke around about, okay, so what else could go wrong? What could possibly go wrong? And there were a lot of folks about a week ago today going, well, you know, I'll tell you what went wrong. Ruth Bader Ginsburg passed away, and that uh, threw us into even greater chaos. So this may not throw us into greater chaos, but uh, this is a serious bummer. And and I'm sad to, to report that uh, Ron Paul, former Congressman Ron Paul, um, appeared to have to suffer a stroke while doing his Liberty Report this morning. Um, classic, you know, face drooping, unable to speak, at least to, to speak intelligibly. And uh, then the feed cut off. Um, very, very sad thing to see. I don't know how he's doing. I understand he's been taken to the hospital, but uh, 2020 enough. <laughs> Would you just stop? Uh, it's it's sad to see, you know, prayers for uh, Ron Paul and his family. We hope it was a relatively minor episode, whatever it was, that he has a speedy recovery. But um, I got to tell you, that's the kind of guy who I think has left a very positive and lasting legacy. And I don't want to make it sound like, oh, well, you're giving a eulogy for him already. I'm just I'm just going to point out he, he is an octogenarian. He has been an advocate and I mean a tireless advocate for liberty um, for, for most all of his life. He served very honorably as a congressman here in the, the nickname Dr. No for, for being willing to stand up and say no on whatever the, the imperative bill of the day might have been. If it didn't pass constitutional muster, meaning if it didn't have authorization for the federal government to be doing it under the Constitution, then his answer was, no, we shouldn't be doing that. Not a politician, a statesman. And there's a world of difference. And I don't I can't think of anybody within my lifetime who has embodied that difference better than Ron Paul. I've had the chance to meet him. I think a couple of times now. Had the chance to interview him a couple of times. And uh, I will admit, the guy was a, was a pretty strong influence on me back in the day. I think I, I have been reading his, uh, his weekly columns and following you know his, his speeches and so forth since about 1999. I want to say that's about the time I really started to become a, a very frequent reader of LewRockwell.com. And Dr. Paul has, has been a very constant contributor since that time. And I know there are a lot of people who feel the same way. And again, I don't want to make it sound like I'm giving a eulogy for the guy. As, as far as I know, he's, he's had a medical episode. He's been taken to the hospital. It sure looks like the symptoms of a stroke. But my point is simply this. None of us really know how much time we have. I mean, you know, people, people die at very young ages. You know, Ron Paul has thankfully lived to a pretty ripe age. But we never know exactly when our chapter of, of life on earth is, is going to come to an end. 
And I think one of the things that, that we should probably be spending more time focusing on is what kind of impact will we have had? Not so much what kind of nice things will people say about me? Because, uh, believe me, plenty of people have said really, really harsh and cutting things about uh, Ron Paul, including a lot of people who really should know better. A lot of uh, a lot of conservatives, a lot of, uh, you know, at least uh, in name, you know, Republicans who, you know, you would think would be more principled. They didn't like some of his stances, but the guy was was very consistent in his principles. And that's why he has remained a mentor to many people well into his 80s. And the impact that he has had has helped shape numerous generations of lovers of freedom. And I count myself among those who have been impacted by his tireless efforts to to speak the truth, to promote the principles and practices of liberty and to, to walk the walk, not just just tell people what they want to hear. There's a great lesson in there for all of us. And I, I hope that we still have more time to enjoy, you know, Ron Paul's uh, presence here among us. If not, this is the kind of guy who I think leaves the, the kind of legacy that uh, he, he could stand with confidence in the, the company of the founding generation and, and feel at home among them. Having towed the line, having paid the price, and, and really put that, uh, that public virtue above his own fame, fortune, and well-being. All right, I'm going to hop off the soapbox. Let's open up the lines here, 801-331-8113. Hi, welcome to the show. Yeah, Brian, first of all, I was going to call you about that if uh, you had to mention it, which you had. Uh, have a couple of technical issues. You're not on your stream, so I'm not, I'm not getting I'm just getting the news over and over again. And um, so that's the first issue. Also, too, on the uh, Loving Liberty podcasting page, the only, the only hour that's appearing is the second hour. Interesting. Yeah, so I just want to make you aware of that. Yeah, first hour, the entry's there, but there's no podcast over there. So Okay. So so anyway, but anyway, no, I'm just going to comment, and it sounded like I didn't hear the, the, the gist of what you were saying, because obviously until I called in and you picked up on the line, I'm not hearing anything on the stream other than just USA. So... But anyway, well, we had uh, a we had a Windows update the other day, and it has thrown everything into chaos, and I mean uh, everything. I'm not surprised. Now people want there's the answer as to why I don't want to take a vaccine from Bill Gates. Oh, because <laughs> he might screw that up too. Well, I'll run just like a Windows computer. Yeah, it's I, I'm telling you, we've we've had these updates before, and and sometimes it's a it's a bit of a pain. But I, I'm here to tell you that it has been absolutely ridiculous. I, it undid every bit of uh, my sound card settings on, uh, on at least three different sound cards. Anyway, I'm talking technical stuff that won't be interesting to a lot of people. But let's just say I have spent a lot of time putting out a lot of fires in the last 24 you know, hours. Maybe, maybe a bunch of people should get together and um, charge Microsoft for all the time because your time is worth something. <laughs> well, I'd like to think it is. Yeah. I mean, when you have to undo everything that they do, you know, and I've had the same problem with Apple sometimes because I'll get an update. They had an update to their browser, Safari, and it screwed up some of the stuff I use with, with screen reading software. So, you know, for all these people to say, you know, that update so you can have the best user experience. And I'm saying, okay, according to who? 
Yeah. That's a, that's a question. But anyway, I won't keep you, but I, I was glad to hear you cover that. I've been putting the word out on what happened. I understand that he had the stroke during, was it a stroke he had, I think, during his podcast this morning is yeah. what I heard. Yeah, and it's a, it definitely looked like a stroke. I mean, I, I'm not a medical doctor, so, you know, my, my vast uh, medical experience here uh, is, is not being drawn upon. But I've, I've dealt with, you know, friends and family members who've, who've had strokes. And uh, that's pretty, pretty indicative of something like that well, happening. I've been, I've been instructing my audience to keep them in our prayers, and so I would just say the same thing. Uh, those who are their prayer warriors, keep them in your prayers and keep them in your thoughts and prayers, and hopefully he'll pull through this and be able to um, uh, keep pushing the message of liberty. But uh, if nothing else, no matter what happens to him, he's lit a, he's lit a brush fire in the hearts of a lot of people. Absolutely. And, I'm hoping that uh, Daniel McAdams or somebody like that will continue the uh, tradition of the podcast because I've been carrying him. I've been carrying him every day he's been on. I carry him just like a part of my lineup, and it's going to be a, a loss without him. So uh, anyway, so uh, I'm hoping they can keep that tradition going. But uh, anyway, other than that, that's all I got for right now, Brian. But just thought I'd, I didn't know how else to alert you to some of that stuff that was going on. So uh, anyway, just wanted to let you know all of that, too. So uh have a good one, and we'll try John from here. Okay, thank you so much. All right, 801-331-8113. Now that all of our dirty laundry is being aired, <laughs> no, it's it's been a really interesting time dealing with a lot of these uh, these technical issues. And I actually thought we had this one sorted out last night with uh, with the live stream. Yeah, apparently not. That's okay. We'll we'll continue to work on it. So I have a few other things I would like to uh, to share with you. Um, great article by uh, Robert E. Wright. This is so timely, and it's coming up here in just a few moments. This one is called "Don't Be a Party Two Parties." Now, look, I like my truth unsugarcoated. I prefer it, you know, straight up, unspun. Just tell me the facts. Tell me how it's going, and and that's good. But I also like it with a side of snark. And in this case, Robert E. Wright delivers beautifully on a side of snark <laughs> like nobody's business. So we will uh, we'll pick up just the other side of these messages. Stay with us. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. By the way, our program is brought to you by great sponsors like Nikki's Wholesale Food Warehouse. This should be of particular interest to my listeners in and around the Salt Lake City area. You've probably heard me talk about Nikki's before. That is, if you have been a longtime listener to this program. And I, I'm just here to tell you that I know a lot of people are, are struggling trying to make ends meet. They are doing their best, you know, to stretch their, their dollars. And Nikki's Wholesale Food Warehouse is a great way to do that. 
If, if my wife and I are traveling through or going near Salt Lake City, we make it a point to stop into Nicky's just to see what he has received. And I can tell you right now, he's got a lot of fresh produce. He's got a lot of meats. The, the walk-in freezer is just jam-packed. And I mean lots and lots of different kinds. Frozen soups. You'll find cheeses. You'll find uh, cans. And these are, these are foods that are purchased from wholesale food suppliers and you get them for, for a fraction of the cost. Yes, there are some dents and dings on some of the cans. But again, if you're trying to, to stretch your food dollar, there is no finer place to do it than Nikki's Wholesale Food Warehouse. And the best thing you can do is go to Facebook, look up Nikki's Wholesale Food Warehouse. That's where you'll get the best directions. It's not the easiest to find, but I'll say it's the most, worth, most worthwhile. And when you get there, you might say, I heard the guy talking about you on the radio. Thought I had to come and check it out for myself. All right. That said, I think we got the problem fixed that Sam was alluding to in the uh, last uh, segment. So I want to move on to a commentary by Robert E. Wright. Don't be a party to parties. Now, that's a strange thing to say in an election year, right? And he says, by the title, I mean political parties, not the fun get-togethers that help us to achieve community immunity from COVID-19 and other long-forgotten but still extant little buggers. He says, if I told you that America was controlled by two national cartels that have long been in cahoots with each other, but now appear poised to engage in the greatest turf war in a century and a half, you'd want governments great and small to crack down on them using RICO statutes and all the other law enforcement tools at their disposal. But he says governments won't do anything like that because the cartels run most American governments and have made their sundry nefarious activities not only legal, but the very paragon of democracy. He says just as Esau sold his birthright for a mess of pottage in Genesis, Americans have sold their liberty for a mess of ballots. Everything is great, Americans are told, because they can vote. Well, Soviet citizens could vote, too, for Stalin or for execution. Are Americans' choices much better? Go register Americans here daily so they can make the most momentous choice of their lifetimes. Dotard 1 or Dotard 2 for POTUS. Which shall you choose? They are daily asked. Pick wisely, they are told, because their very lives depend upon it. Down-ballot options are just as momentous because whether power-hungry imbecile number one or power-hungry policy imbecile number two becomes X will determine the future course of the nation. Tis Americans' sacred duty to pick one of the miscreants, even if both appear to be shady characters bound to misappropriate taxpayer resources one way or another. He's got a flair. He's on a roll. Let's keep going. Robert E. Wright says making fine distinctions between assorted dotards and power-hungry policy imbeciles is a lot of work, but thankfully the cartels make matters easier. Simply picking a party and dutifully selecting its candidates is the pinnacle of democracy. Or so Americans hear over and over as if truth comes from the repetition of lies. What could possibly go wrong? And he says pretty much everything, as it turns out. There exist two Americas, and they are not Democratic and Republican. They are voluntary market and coerced government. The former works like a charm and is responsible for just about everything good in life. The latter reeks like a cesspool of disinformation, the raw sewage of power. What policymakers truly interested in the common wheel should be doing is discovering ways to roll back their own powers, removing everything they possibly can from the cesspool of coercive government and exposing it to the disinfectant power of voluntary market transactions. 
Instead, the two major political parties conspired to create and expand a public school system, K through postgraduate, that maintains their duopoly and challenge and channels rather public discourse into dark dead end alleys. Now, he says, I see this every day in the classroom and social media. Some problem clearly caused by partisan politics gets blamed on capitalism or systemic racism or some other amorphous, ill-defined straw man. The dullest members of both cartels then have at it, and no argument, data, policy innovation, or theory will induce them to budge an inch from their respective equally untenable positions. Thankfully, millions of Americans were homeschooled, attended private schools, or somehow transcended public school indoctrination techniques. They became swing voters, non-voters, or independents unafraid to throw their votes away on third-party candidates. But the cartels constitute a duopoly that has rigged the game in their favor. And he says almost invariably, one of them wins no matter how few votes are cast because democratic America does not provide non-voters with a voice or with a say in the outcome of elections. Non-votes are not counted as a vote for neither of the above, or I do not believe this elected office is necessary or constitutional because that would create unwanted competition for the duopoly, the legitimacy of which is based on winning a plurality of votes cast, not the affirmative consent of a majority of the electorate. Holy cow, is that accurate? Previously, he says, I've suggested moving to a system of a lot of lotto, lotocracy, lotocracy, lotto, anyway, or sortition of choosing leaders randomly from a pool if no candidate can garner the votes of at least half the adult population. Now, he says, I believe such a policy would force parties to put up moderate candidates and reduce the power of gerrymandering and campaign contributions. Another option would be to do away with political parties entirely. The idea isn't crazy. It's an old canard that the founders disdained political parties. Nebraska's legislature and that of American Samoa is nonpartisan, as are the legislatures of various small island territories. Moreover, numerous states choose judges under various iterations of the nonpartisan Missouri plan. It's imperfect, but it's better than rank partisanship. He says, despite the founders' dislike of political faction... Critics might retort, we've had political parties since the early 1790s, and the economy has grown at modern rates ever since. Well, that is right, but America has managed to grow despite slavery and tariffs, and scads of other bad policies enacted by partisans. Think of how rich America would be today without those policy disasters. He says, I dare say it could have lost twice as much GDP to lockdowns this spring. Yes, political parties, like drug cartels, might form even if they were illegal. But at least then, some government officials could be induced to put the RICO screws to them. Wouldn't it be nice to have a war on partisanship? This guy has a dozen pictures of donkeys and elephants in his trunk. He must be a dealer. Lock him up and confiscate his car. Robert E. Wright says, I stand by both sortition and a party ban, but for the upcoming election... I want to suggest something more grassroots for those of you who do not sell your mail-in ballot, voting for a third-party candidate. No one in particular, just nobody associated with either of the two cartels ruining this country for their own benefit. Yes, he's suggesting vote for that third-party candidate. Yes, your candidate will lose, but this election might be one that nobody wins. And he says, I'm proud to reveal that I've not been complicit in any of the disasters to sit in the White House since I voted for Jesse Jackson when I cast my first ballot in 1988. 
Now, he says, most of the time I voted straight ticket. Neither of these bums, we can do better than this. But America apparently cannot do better. Not while it's partisan duopoly rules anyway. That's pretty harsh, right? <laughs> I mean, he's, he's not pulling any punches. But it's definitely something to think about. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to echo the refrain that I've spoken so many times before. Yes, you have influence. Yes, if you want to vote, that's something you should do. But you should do your best to vote as an informed voter. And above all, I would remind you that what you do before and after you cast that vote is actually of far greater importance than the simple act of voting for someone in the voting booth. What kind of citizen are you? How is your influence being used to inform and uplift and enlighten the people around you? That's stuff that can take place out of politics, believe it or not. We'll be right back. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. By the way, if you'd like to join the conversation, you may do so at 801-331-8113. Again, 801-331-8113. Isn't it interesting that uh, Governor Newsom in California, um, you know, I, I, I feel like I'm just kind of picking on him. And I don't even live there. But uh, one of the worst run states in terms of heavy handed government, heavy, heavy regulation and taxation. I've talked to a number of friends who live in California who've described, you know, this is what we had to go through just to do a remodel on our home. And you can't believe the number of inspectors and government people and overhead that has to be addressed, you know, by by officialdom before you can do so much as do anything with your own property. The expense is significant. I don't know why people still stick it out, but they do. And now California, ironically, the state that uh, seems to be having a terrible shortage of electricity or at least rolling blackouts because they can't provide enough enough electricity for their uh, for their residents. Now has a governor saying, well, by the year, what is it, 2030, 2035? Anyway, about 10 or 15 years down the road, gas engines are going to be outlawed. How much sense does that make? So, yeah, we don't have any... uh any electricity to speak of, but uh, 15 years hence, your car must run on electricity. <laughs> I don't know what they're going to do. I mean, it seems like it's it's setting people up for, well, it's, it's setting people up for failure. It is. Whether someone, you know, comes up with a, a remarkable cold fusion reactor that powers everybody's homes, you know, for a fraction of the cost, the regulatory environment, the central planning that's going on still is going to prevent the the best solutions from coming forward and worse from coming forward voluntarily. Sad. It's a beautiful state. I understand why people want to live there. But I can't imagine why people want to stay there for now. A lot of them are beating feet. And I think with, with good reason. Caller, welcome to the show. What's going on, Brian? How are you today? Just hanging, talking and stuff. <laughs> Yeah, I, I saw that article about that governor. Uh, New Jersey's the same way. It, it's I don't understand how these people can put up with it. Like, 
they were just posting this thing on Facebook the other day, some of my buddies from New Jersey, about the proposed tax hikes on firearm owners. And the list was just incredible of the costs. Like, you have to have a special handgun permit. You know, you have to have, you know, all these different things. It's, it's the licensing fees. It's it's, it was it was crazy. It was almost like twenty different items. They were that you have to have these permits and fees, and it was just insane. And I wish I could pull it up for you, but I, I, I think I, I posted that it's time the people exercise their Second Amendment right. And and I don't know what happened, but I think enough people maybe called his office or something, and he backed down on it. But yeah, the state of New Jersey's it's it's out of I don't know how these states these people live in these states and and put up with this pretty sad stuff i mean california i feel for gun owners there and i've met a number of gun owners from california i used to pretty regularly go attend training at front site and there was always a good contingent of people from california but uh, gradually they have just squeezed and squeezed and squeezed to where you can't own so many different types of firearms and now even purchasing ammo is subject to the approval of the state it's just scary and I just wonder how these people are going to, I mean, like, what's his name, the California governor, Gavin Newman? Or, Gavin Newsom. When that bill comes to play, he's going to be long gone. Yeah. You know, and he's claiming all these things that probably he can't keep the promise. You know, if he had any cojones, he'd pull the trigger and make it mandatory tomorrow if he really was adamant about it. Oh, don't give him any ideas. He's, well, already, he's already been pretty bold on the whole COVID lockdown thing. And that's another thing. I mean, people in New Jersey are just going crazy over this, this mask mandate. You can't, they're arresting people in, in baseball games that are, aren't wearing masks. Oh, yeah. And they're letting these people riot in the streets without masks. I mean, it, this is ludicrous what's going on. And, you know, I, I, I think it's a small majority of people that are participating in this these riots and stuff. And I think they're just trying to make as much trouble as they can before this election. And it's really a sad thing. Definitely doing some destabilizing. And a fine job of it, I might add. Yeah, it's ruining a lot of people's lives between this COVID and these riots. I mean, there's a lot of businesses that are going under. And you hear the stories of it, and it breaks your heart, you know, because yep. people put their blood, sweat, and tears in it. I don't know. I think, I, I think it's time some of these states, some of the silent majority need to get up and go grab these people out of office physically and, and take them out. Yeah, you know, I've, I never have wanted to see a time when pitchforks and torches became necessary, but what I see a lot of elected leaders doing is pushing us into a corner to where at some point that's going to have to be the option. We're, we're going to... People forget that's how the country was founded. Yeah, there came a point where the people had to say enough and put their foot down. Which the explains they weren't there comparing guns, right? Well, and that explains why certain uh, politicians want gun control so desperately. Sure, because it, and political correctness—that's why they want that. You're exactly right. Because without those two things, then no one can question what they do. Yep. And, and we've got to stay vigilant. We're going to win this game. I can okay. tell you, we're going to win. Keep the faith, Rob. You got it, buddy. Take care. Have a good day. Thanks. Have a nice weekend. All right. Appreciate it. 801-331-8113. There's a terrific article by Anders Koskinen 
about uh, save the planet, no, save the environment, drive a gas-powered car. And here's what he says. He says, the Washington Post recently reported California will cease to allow the sale of gasoline-powered cars in the state by 2035. Now, he says this act of government overreach comes not through a legislative act by the state's elected representatives in the House and Senate, but by a decree of Governor Gavin Newsom and the California Air Resources Board with its appointed head attorney, Mary Nichols, the so-called Queen of Green. Newsom said in a statement, according to the Post, you deserve to have a car that doesn't give your kid asthma. Our cars shouldn't make wildfires worse and create more days filled with smoky air. But Anders Koskinen points out Newsom ignores several critical environmental policy concerns with with this Blythe statement. First, it's in large part, if not completely, the fault of government officials that these catastrophic wildfires to which Newsom refers are occurring. These officials demonstrate an astounding level of hubris by attempting to thwart nature. As those wildfires stunningly remind us, governments are poor stewards of the environment. Moving along, the Post reports that the astounding new goal is to make sure every new passenger car sold in California is electric by 2035. Automakers will have an additional 10 years to ensure medium and heavy-duty trucks and other vehicles reach zero emissions. Hooray! California will be a clean, smog-free patch of land, and Los Angeles residents will smile as they walk through their sparkling city, rather than wheezing through dark clouds as they attempt a morning jog. Not so fast, says Anders Koskinen. Pump the brakes on that vehicular celebration. As the Post reports, the order does not prevent Californians from owning or selling used cars with internal combustion engines, or even buying them outside the state. The biggest accomplishment of this order might just be shipping auto sales tax money out of California and to surrounding states. Yes, coastal Californians might not want to make the trek out to Nevada or Arizona or up to Oregon, but the more conservative out-of-state residents of California... Outstate residents of California, rather, won't likely hesitate to cross the border. If that happens, California's automotive manufacturing industry, worth $5.5 billion in 2017, may dwindle. Now, considering that Californians account on average for 27% of all current U.S. unemployment claims and one-third of all welfare claims, seems like a bad time to implement new regulations that could hinder this industry. He says the move to electric cars in California may end up doing more harm than good, not only to the auto industry, but to the environment as well. To start with, 62% of the United States energy production still comes from fossil fuels, with natural gas and coal dominating this production. A further 19.7% comes from nuclear energy, with all renewable energy resources accounting for just 17.5% of U.S. energy production. Now, those cars may be electric, but they're really just coal-powered instead of gas-powered. California might end up moving a slight bit of energy production pollution out of the state, but they won't be eliminating much of it. In addition, the environmental costs of battery production for electric cars is enormous, and these are largely borne by developing nations. Now, he gets into some of the particulars of what it takes to create the battery for a Tesla Model S. We're going to get to that in just a few moments. Um, I'll tell you this, to make the battery for that to clean driving Tesla, it involves moving an awful lot of natural resources and disturbing a lot of things and creating a lot of pollution. I'll spell it out for you just the other side of the break. Stay with us.
This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, we are back. I want to give a quick shout-out to another one of our sponsors, and that would be Jeff Staples Realty. Now, for folks living in southern Utah, this will be of special interest to you, but Jeff actually has people he works with throughout the state of Utah. So my Utah listeners, if you are looking to sell your home, if you're looking to purchase a home, this is a guy you want to talk to. He's with ERA Brokers Consolidated. Easy for me to say. And if you would like to get in touch with him, here's what you're going to have to do. I have a link to his page on the show notes, which you will find at the com. It's right down at the bottom. Got a special little section for our sponsors. Click on Jeff Staples Realty, and he'll get you uh, started in the right direction. Again, go to the com. Click on the show notes for today, September 25th, and we'll get you there in fine style. While you're there, you might want to consider uh, subscribing to the podcast, maybe becoming a wrong thinker. You can become a patron and and help support the show as well. All right, back to the article by Anders Koskinen. You want to save the environment? Drive a gas-powered car. Look, this isn't to make anybody feel bad about their environmental concerns, but do you realize what it takes to build an electric-powered car? And he starts with the battery in a Tesla Model S which contains about 26 pounds of lithium, which is often extracted in water-intensive methods. Now, these methods have tainted water to the point where dead fish cover the surface of rivers in Tibet, with cow and yak carcasses floating downstream after dying from the poisoned drinking water. The Chilean method of lithium extraction uses 500,000 gallons of water per metric ton of lithium, resulting in the lithium industry using 65% of the Salar de Atacama region's water, a practice which can have severe impacts on local farmers. Sometimes this also involves the use of fossil fuels to speed up the evaporation of the water as part of the extraction process, thus rendering electric cars even more pointless in a fight to save the environment. Now, one environmentalist group in Europe noted that lithium extraction uses toxic chemicals, And the extraction itself inevitably harms the soil and also causes air contamination. So Newsom and other Californians might end up owning a car that doesn't give your kid asthma. But the kids in Chile and China and other developing nations often end up paying a much higher price. Nowhere is this more true than in the Democratic Republic of the Congo, where child labor is urged or used rather to to extract cobalt, another crucial component in electric car batteries which use several pounds of the highly in-demand metal. In 2014, UNICEF estimated that roughly 40,000 children worked in cobalt mines in the Democratic Republic of the Congo, which is the world's largest producer of cobalt. Often they worked 12-hour days for just $1 to $2 a day. Now, California's regulatory overlords are so eager to engage in virtue signaling that they ignore the devastating environmental and human costs of electric cars. Newsom is merely outsourcing suffering. This me-first attitude blinds the regulators to the harm their policies create elsewhere in the world, a harm that also goes directly against their stated goals. So Newsom and his buddies may indeed slightly decrease the output of of greenhouse gases from California's cars, but at what cost? 
That's a fair question, by the way. That's that's the difference in how economists think versus political hacks. Political hacks just want to see, ah, well, what's the immediate thing that uh, that's going to happen here? What is the immediate effect? They don't stop to ponder who might be affected. What are some of the negatives? What are some of the unintended consequences? And this kind of thinking should be the basis for every bit of public policy. You're not going to get perfect results because you're not dealing with perfect people that are creating these policies. But it would sure go a long way toward avoiding some of the uh, whoops, huh, we didn't see that coming consequences that seem to pop up. All right. Here's a timely article from Annie Holmquist. This was on intellectual takeout. And I know there is a lot of incivility going on right now. The worst of it is probably the uh, BLM protesters going into restaurants and going into neighborhoods, confronting people, threatening them, threatening drivers. By the way, the uh, miscreants are learning. Now they have, have started to put chase vehicles together. So if, if a driver manages to slip through that, uh, that human blockade that's meant to keep people in their cars and keep them, you know, a captive audience to be intimidated or beat upon as, as it uh, suits the protesters, if someone slips away, and oftentimes they do, knocking protesters out of the way, wouldn't you do the same if your car windows were being beaten out and people trying to reach in and drag you from your car? Now they have chase vehicles. They'll get a big heavy pickup, chase them down, force them off the road where the, the beatings commence anew. Crazy stuff. That's the worst of the incivility. There's a lot of uh, not so bad incivility. Well, not so extreme incivility. It's still bad. Then uh, the mask enforcement, the ratting out of people who aren't social distancing and so forth. And of course, the political, the politically possessed, it's just. It's, it's rapidly descending into insanity. So the question is, how can you be civil under such conditions? Is it possible? If someone is being particularly uncivil to you, for instance, can you still be civil? Annie Holmquist says yes, and she actually has a powerful story that she learned, a life lesson from, that she learned from her friend, the UPS man, the other day. Apparently, he had dropped by with a couple of packages, and in response to uh, her question informed her that, yes, the delivery industry was still in Christmas mode, COVID-19 having turned the year into one long, exhausting holiday season. So she says, given the intense nature of his work, I wouldn't blame him one bit if he walked around in a grumpy cloud of doom, lashing out at anyone and everything. But he doesn't, even when others treat him in such a manner. An instance of that happened the other day. The UPS man was explaining to her while he was making a delivery. He happened upon a woman whose order had been messed up and she was spitting nails over it. Although he tried to explain that he had nothing to do with the mix up. She would have none of it and went on a seven minute tirade throwing F bombs at him left and right. Now, for most of us. That kind of abuse would be more than we could take. And Annie Holmquist says, my friend wasn't too thrilled about the abuse he was receiving either, but he decided to try an experiment. He listened until she was finished and then thanked her. This is what he told her. He said, the fact that you spent time telling me all this shows that you think I'm an important person. I'm valuable enough that you want me to listen. So thank you for showing me that. Now, what do you suppose her reaction was? She was stunned. She looked at him. And melted, dropping her ill-directed rage. And who can blame her? 
He actually gave gracious gratitude in response to verbal abuse. That would startle anyone and actually could diffuse even some of the most difficult of situations. Annie Holmquist says hearing his story gave her great pause. She said, we live in a society where civility and mannerly behavior have gone out the window. Just watch a video of any riot from the last few months. Each is full of angry people, gnashing their teeth and taking their anger out through violently beating or shooting innocent people. Or flip through a few photos taken in the aftermath of peaceful protests. You're going to see a lot of profane graffiti directed at cops, scrawled with abandoned over boarded up buildings, or consider the videos of angry protesters yelling in the faces of peaceful diners, innocently trying to enjoy a private meal at a favorite restaurant, but instead finding themselves harassed to support a cause they may or may not even have an opinion on. Further, she says, consider daily social media rants and arguments with family, friends, and neighbors. Everyone suddenly has a bone to pick with whomever is nearest to them, even if that person has nothing to do with the problem. Samuel Adams once said, neither the wisest constitution nor the wisest laws will secure the liberty and happiness of a people whose manners are universally corrupt. Likewise, Thomas Jefferson noted, it is the manners and spirit of a people which preserve a republic in vigor. A degeneracy in these is a canker which soon eats to the heart of its laws and constitution. So here's her conclusion. She says, when confronted by the anger and vitriol racing through our society, what if we, like her friend, the UPS man, took a different tack and exercised a little civility, refusing to lash out in anger even when we'd been unjustly accosted ourselves? Would we see a difference in our society? A difference that might turn us away from the destructive path we're headed down? Now, I share that with you knowing full well she is asking us to do roughly the equivalent of walking on water. How easy is it to be civil when someone is being decidedly uncivil to you? Okay, I can only speak for myself, but it's hard. I mean, it is really, really hard. But I think she has a point, and I think this actually may be the better approach. Look, at the very least, you're not bringing more anger into the situation. So I got to give you points. If you're strong enough not to bring more anger into the situation, you're doing something right. Can we take that next step and actually be charitable? I don't know. Let's find out. This is The Brian Hyde Show.